If you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And as I mentioned last week, I kind of felt like what I was studying for last Wednesday was going to turn into just a short series. I know it'll be tonight and more than likely next Wednesday and maybe the Wednesday after that, but for sure tonight and next week. But the story I told that I want to give you a little recap on is I talked about dislodging dishonor is, was my title. And the thought behind it was being in my daughter's room and having to access a closet door. And when I went to, the door was open a little bit. And when I went to push my way through it and open it, there was something lodged behind it. It ended up being this, I don't know, the thing's probably a four-foot panda bear that my one of my, my nieces back in Louisiana bought her, and uh, it was lodged, and I couldn't figure out why the door wouldn't push open, and really what the Holy Spirit, for me in that moment, is, is he kind of just took something very simple and turned it into a spiritual truth in that moment. Does the Holy Spirit ever speak to you in simple terms? He does for me. He, I guess that's just me. He's got he's to keep it simple, amen? And in that moment, the Lord began to talk to me and what I want to kind of get through to you in this series is that you can have a door ahead of you that God wants to walk you through for a new place of promotion and a new place of fresh anointing or a blessing or something even maybe you've been really praying for and that door ahead is open and it looks like you could go right through it but there may be something very innocuous and small behind the door that's keeping you from passing all the way through it. That's what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And for me, in that moment, it wasn't anything big that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. It wasn't like, you know, you need to, need to get rid of this sin in your life. You need to do this. You need to do that. Usually, if we understood, it's the little things that are keeping us back from spiritual maturity. It's little things that are keeping us back from growing into everything Christ and God wants us to be. It's for me, sometimes it's just an attitude that I didn't even realize I had. It's uh, something, something simple in my life that the Holy Spirit just wants to come in. And, and when that's removed, so when I say dislodge, this series is about dislodging anything that keeps us from going through the door. And I talked about dislodging dishonor last week and how important honor for people. And again, it's not about people being honorable it's about our character and honoring those, whether it be in a position of authority in our lives, a boss at work, uh, somebody in the school system, if you're a teacher, or you know, even in the church setting with your spiritual leaders that God has picked and anointed and put in place, is that you're not necessarily honoring them, you're honoring the one that put them in that place. And as we learn to be honorable people, we could probably reach a lot more of the world around us by us operating in a different way than the world works because we live in a culture of dishonor. We live in a culture where people want to cancel each other, right, and want to come at each other and come at each other's throat. If I disagree with you, then I'm going to make sure that I take you out and I take you down. And We talked last week uh, about how we as Christians should be honorable people but also show honor to others. It's an important thing. But something like that could be stopping the door from opening. Tonight, here's what I felt on my heart the last couple of days I've been praying about. Everybody say doubt. I want to dislodge doubt in my life. Doubt and unbelief will keep you from seeing miracles in your life. Doubt and unbelief will hinder you and keep you from growing into the mighty man or woman of God that God desires for you to be. So it could be doubt that dislodges or is stopping something from coming to pass in your life. Sitting in a group of people this size, you love God. You would not be here on Wednesday night if you didn't have a relationship with him, if you didn't love him, if you weren't you know, serving him, whatever it may be. You wouldn't be here tonight. But I also understand I go through seasons in my life where it seems like my doubt and unbelief is bigger than my faith. Can anybody else understand that tonight. I hope you can. And we were faced with moments where we were going to make a decision of this. Who and what are we going to believe? My desire tonight is that God would strengthen our faith. How many say just I could use my faith strengthened tonight? I look around me and I don't see things going exactly the way that maybe I thought it would. And, and you kind of get blindsided at times with things that come completely out of the blue. 
And sometimes we just need our faith strengthened. And so let's give God's word preeminence in the house tonight. Amen. Let's, let's just lift up his word. Let's focus on his word tonight and many different scriptures that I'm going to share. But above all, I want you to leave here tonight to where you could literally say, hey, I've dislodged some doubt and unbelief in my life. And it's no longer hindering me in my path and what God wants for me. Um, I even thought about this. I thought about not only should we dislodge doubt, we should spit it out. Come on. <laughs> you ever been eating a watermelon you got to spit out those seeds? That's the reason I don't even eat watermelons. Does anybody just not like that seed part? I don't like seeds and stuff I eat. I just, I get oranges, man, they're seedless. I just, I don't like that part. And we have a saying, swallow your pride. Well, I want to tell you tonight, if you got doubt, spit it out. If you got doubt operating in your heart, if you got doubt operating in your life, we are not to be doubters of God and his character and his word. We are to be people full of faith and hope and love and full of an understanding that we serve a God that can do the impossible. We serve a God that can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. But sometimes we have doubt standing in the way and we need to just dislodge that from our lives. You came in here and you love God and you love his word and you love his purposes and you love serving him and you love him with all your heart. But at some times you could just say, man, my doubt seems to be bigger than my faith. What is faith? The simplest definition of faith that I think I could give you. Because if you talk about doubt and unbelief, that's the antithesis of being a person of faith. And I don't think at times in my life anyway that I necessarily need more faith I need less doubt. Am I in the right room tonight? I came to preach to you because I'm fired up that sometimes we just get so much doubt in our lives about things going on in our lives. We often say, well, you just need more faith. I don't think you need more faith. I think you need to remove doubt. You you need to do something in your life and, and hone in on the word of God to get rid of the doubt in your life and the unbelief so that faith can find a place to grow. Faith is believing God and taking him at his word. Faith, the simplest definition of faith, and I know there's many that I could give, many people that probably have a better definition than that sitting right here in this room, but in my heart and in my mind, when I talk about faith and what faith is, it's just taking God at his word. If God said it, then God is going to do it. God is going to come through. God is going to show us his faithfulness. So faith is believing God is who he said he is, and God will do what he said he would do. If you believe that you possess faith, it says this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. We must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it doesn't matter how many sermons you hear or how many worship times you've been a part of. Listen tonight. It's not the size of your faith. We get so focused on, well, I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I need to dislodge doubt and grow my faith. And we think it's about the size of our faith. But if Jesus said that faith is small as a mustard seed, it's not about the size. To me, it is about dislodging and and dealing with the doubt that we harbor in our heart. Dealing with the doubt that sometimes we... So our doubts lend towards this. It lends lends towards not believing God is who he said he is. Are you in James right there? Let's read that scripture right here in in verse 5. I know again that you guys, chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. I want to focus there a little bit tonight about how we can become double-minded. For not, let not that man that think he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Father, for these next few minutes and moments as we study your word, as we delve into your word, Lord, I pray tonight that our faith would be strengthened. That, Lord, we would have a revelation of who you are. That you would just peel back the curtain and we would see you in all your goodness and glory. That, God, tonight we would see that you are for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? That, Lord, that measure of faith that you said you've given to each one, I pray it would be strengthened and it would grow. 
and it would this word would find itself falling on good soil and would return fruit 30 60 even 100 fold in our lives let our faith increase and let doubt go in Jesus name and all God's people said a good amen so it's not the size of my faith it's rooting out the doubt and unbelief If you say, yeah, I I, want to grow my faith, that's great, but I think first we have to take the doubt and spit it out. We have to identify those areas where we're double-minded. We need to identify those areas where we maybe haven't completely, totally asked God to remove the doubt and unbelief from our heart. Because doubt will destroy what God wants to give you. Are you hearing me? Doubt will destroy what God wants to give you. So, if you take the door, again, if you take the door and understand that there's something lodged behind it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the fact that you have a deep, dark sin issue in your life. If it is, you need to repent and receive God's forgiveness and the anointing to destroy the yoke of that thing. Most of the time, for everybody in this room, most of the time, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, as the Bible says. It's, It's the little areas where maybe we're not fully trusting God. So I thought to myself, okay, how do I break this up, Lord? Here's the first thing that I thought of. How does doubt form in our heart? If faith is to be growing in our heart, and we have been given a measure of faith, and Jesus said, if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, that you can say to a mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the midst of the sea, and do not doubt, there it is, do not doubt in your heart, you will have whatever you say. But he begins that passage by saying, have faith in God. Again, faith is believing that God is who he said he is and God will do what he said he would do. So how does uh, doubt form? If you're taking notes, the first thing I thought of, doubt forms in our heart through bad theology. Everybody say bad theology. Say, well, give me a definition of bad theology. Bad theology is theology you can't find in the Word of God. Amen. Doubt forms when we listen to Aunt Matilda tell you that I've been sick 86 times in my life and it's all because God wanted to humble me. Hogwash. Come on, somebody. Aunt Matilda, well, this is just my... And thank, I hope nobody's named Matilda in here. I'm looking around. I, don't, I chose just something random. That's a wonderful name, by the way. So if you have somebody in your family, beautiful, (laughs) wonderful, godly. Aunt Matilda, I'm sure that you know, is a woman of faith that believes that God does not put sickness on her because God does not put sickness on you. You say, Pastor, how's that bad theology? You find in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation where God blessed his people with sickness. You find it and you come up here afterwards and you show it to me and I'll give you... Rich's wallet. Oh, he left it at home. George? I know you carry around wads of cash, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can't find from Genesis to Revelation where, again, I'm not saying, listen to me now, I'm not saying that certainly we don't go through seasons where our body's just sick and cold. I'm talking about a fact that if you don't have a basic theology, that when you find out from the doctor you have something major going on in your body, if your first thought is, well, God, I guess you did this to me or for me or anything else, you've got bad theology. How does doubt form in our heart? It takes the character and nature of God and turns it into something he would not do and could not and should not and everything else you want to say of the knots of something he's not going to do in your life because it already puts you behind the eight ball of fighting something out of your body that God did not put there when you think it came from him. Are you hearing me? And that doesn't mean that we don't, again, have those seasons and places and times. I'm, I'm not one of those people that are like, yeah, if you have enough faith, you'll never get sick in your entire life. Hogwash. But I think we need to start with basic good theology of saying that did not come from your heavenly father. So where'd you get that idea? I read my Bible. I read the word of God. So bad theology will have doubt forming in your heart where it doesn't belong. Number two, I think I thought of, that'll allow doubt to form in your heart. Everybody say experience. experience. Unfortunately, doubts and experiences snowball onto one another. See, your doubt and unbelief 
creates your bad experience, and your bad experience creates more doubts and unbelief, and then more doubts and unbelief come into your life, and then you have another bad experience, and that bad experience causes more doubt and unbelief. Do you, understand? Do you see where I'm going with this? It's just a snowball effect of doubt and unbelief that after you've lived enough of life, that's why bad theology is formed around somebody maybe in your family that maybe when you were a kid or raised up, they just looked at you and said, yeah, you know, can't wait till God gives you a big tumor. Amen? Come on. Listen, you have to start with not listening to and seeing your experiences through the lens of doubt and unbelief, seeing your experiences through the lens that you have a good heavenly father that wants to heal, a good heavenly father that wants to bless you financially, a good heavenly father that wants to take care of you. I think one of the greatest tricks that the enemy ever plays on us is sowing doubt and unbelief about who God said he is. And these are the way doubt forms in our hearts. We go to our experiences instead of going to the Word of God. How many deep, wonderful, even with people sitting in this room right here, deep, wonderful theological discussions about things you go through in your life and, and sickness and, and disappointments and things that you didn't see coming that happened and car wrecks and people passing away really before their time. I've had all those deep things. But one thing that I always tell people is I'm just... I love to just talk about those things, theologically speaking, but one thing that I always come back to is looking them in the eye, even with my own physical things that go in my own body, and say, I don't ever want to judge God based on my limited experience. I want to see what God said he was in the Word. Because when you go to the Word, when you stand on the Word, when you have the Word active and living in your heart, you're not going to look at your experiences through the lens of disappointment and death and sickness and disease, you are going to be somebody that doesn't allow it. Because I'm telling you, doubt and unbelief is something that if you give it the right conditions will grow and grow and grow and grow instead of your faith growing. It's a snowball effect. So what is doubt? Doubt means to feel unconvinced and uncertain about something or someone. The definition of doubt is to feel unconvinced about uh, and uncertain about something or someone. Let me tell you how the devil works. The devil uses doubt and unbelief as a base of operations. The enemy will use doubt and unbelief as a base of operations in our life. Everybody say stronghold. The Bible talks about that our weapons of our warfare in Ephesians are, my, are not carnal but mighty in and through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Doubt and unbelief brick by brick as you have experiences and you have people in your life telling you what they think about God instead of what God's word says clearly about God. And that's where bad theology comes in. That's where our experiences come into play. When you get down right down to it, we have a problem. But we have a problem with the enemy building up a stronghold of these things. And can I just declare to you tonight, if you have a stronghold of doubt and unbelief, I believe it's coming down in Jesus' name. That as it comes down, you're going to see God for who he he said he is and who he is in your life. And and listen, your faith is going to be strengthened. I'm saying this from a man who I I go through seasons where I doubt more than I believe. (laughs) Anybody else? It says pulling down strongholds. It's pulling down. We can pull down that stronghold. We can dislodge doubt. Or if you got doubt, spit it out. Just get rid of it. Identify it. Understand where its origins are from, but understand that the enemy will capitalize on that doubt and unbelief in order to sow the wrong things into our life. So how do we dislodge and defeat doubt? That's how doubt is formed. One couple of the many ways that doubt's formed in our life. So how do we defeat this? I've thought a lot about this over the last couple of days, about this part of the sermon. And my ending today was going to be, you know, go back to what the Lord has taught you before. Go back to the things that he's encouraged your faith with. In other words, when James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, I really view that as, as two ways that we can think. Because here's what it is. Doubt and unbelief is an operation in our minds, right? It is. Doubt and unbelief is something that what we see with our eyes and it doesn't match up with God's word, 
most of the time we're going to choose what we see with our eyes instead of honing in on God's word. And I go back to what the Lord has taught me, that if I find any stronghold in my life, and especially if it's one of doubt and unbelief, here's what I've learned. As I don't want to tell you tonight, try to grow your faith. I want to tell you tonight to train your faith. Everybody say train. How do we defeat doubt and unbelief? My first thought as I began to type and write this this morning was, man, I'm just going to tell them to hone in on God's word. I'm going to tell them to do this and do that. Give them three points at the end of how they can build their faith. And what I really kind of felt led in the direction of was simply don't try to build your faith. You have the ability to train your faith. I'm telling you tonight, your faith is like a muscle. How many understand joining the gym is different than visiting the gym and using the equipment? Buying a Bible is different than reading it and doing it. Amen. So I don't want you to try to build your faith. I want to give you time-tested, proven ways to build your faith because your faith is like a muscle, like anything in your physical body, spiritually speaking. If you do not take your faith and begin to work it, it is going to atrophy. And when it atrophies, you'll find a stronghold being built by the enemy of doubt and unbelief because you're going to come up on circumstances and situations in your walk with the Lord that God, during this time, before it came up, was trying to train your faith, and you were off doing something else. You weren't focused on prayer. You weren't focused on fasting. You weren't focused on... In other words, when the battle hits, is not the time to try to get ready for battle. You have to get ready before it ever comes. With your faith and unbelief, when, when, the, when the bad report comes or you get the phone call or something pops up in your life, it's not the time to try to dust off the Bible at that point. We need to be ready. We need to be armed for pulling down strongholds. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's pretty small. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. Very small. Here's a spiritual example today. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. But I thought of this story. I thought of this story in Mark 9, all the way down to verse 14. If you're familiar with Mark 9, if you're not, Mark 7 and 8 is all about Jesus investing his authority. I started to go down the road of saying, you know, if we want to have faith, we need to build our authority and rebuke the devil. And the Holy Spirit was just like, no. Because I read in chapters 7 and 8 of Mark, that the disciples had already been given authority. They had already been given an anointing. They had already been with Jesus and heard his word. Their faith was pretty powerful and it was pretty strong. But in Mark 9 is an interesting passage because they go up onto the mountaintop and Jesus takes off his Clark Kent outfit and you see him in all his glory. I mean, imagine being there, you know. Imagine seeing God, Son, and all his glory on the mountaintop, and imagine Moses and Elijah showing up beside him. I mean, I would have reacted, I assume, kind of like they did. Let's build three churches and stay here. But it's an important principle in life in regards to our faith that it's not just about the mountaintop experiences. God's going to lead you down into the valley to deal with what the enemy's doing down there because that's what happens. It, it, it ends, it's over. In the first part of Mark 9, they come down off of the mountaintop and they're faced with a, with a circumstance. There's a big crowd of people. And it says, when they saw Jesus, they got excited and ran over to him. And running over to him, he said, what's going on? And what was going on is that there was a demon-possessed little boy. And I love this part in another uh, gospel. I love what the man said when he said, hey, if you believe, he can be free. And he said, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. How many have prayed that prayer? <laughs> More than once. God, I got the faith, but let me spit doubt out as you're speaking your word to me. So how do we defeat doubt? I see this story, and I understand by reading the other chapters before it that it wasn't about authority. It wasn't about anointing. It wasn't about any of those things. In this passage, he had given him authority. He had given him anointing. But here's, here's what... I see there. It wasn't they didn't believe. It's that Jesus tells them the reason you couldn't do this over here is they had not applied the proper discipline. Everybody say discipline. discipline. 
to their lives. Discipline in your spiritual life is not a dirty word because it's discipline. What did he go on to tell them? He said, this kind only goes out by prayer and prayer is your communion and your communication with God. Fasting is putting your flesh in its place. Some of you have allowed doubt and unbelief to make a stronghold in your life and it's nobody's fault but mine and yours. Because when you are, again, it wasn't about their authority. It wasn't about all these other things. Prayer is your communication and dependence on God. Listen, fasting was a denial of self. I wonder if the church is weak and atrophied because we know that God has seated us in Christ in heavenly places. We know the word of God. We know what God said, and we believe he would do what he said he would do. But I wonder how often that we come up against something that we can't move and we can't break through, and it seems like the enemy is victorious in a certain area. And I came to tell you what the key is tonight. It is called self-denial. It's called discipline. It's called, there's times where you've got to just put the cereal bowl down and say, God, I'm going to take some time and get with you and discipline my flesh because I'm telling you, doubt and unbelief, the stronghold of it, rises up, takes hold, and grows in in the arena of somebody who has not denied their own flesh. We have neglected, we know about authority in the church. I believe you do anyway. I hope you do. But if you're up against something that hadn't moved, can I just give you a simple key tonight? Denial of yourself. Listen, certain things we have to apply and do over and over and over again because we don't try to be godly. Listen to me tonight. You don't try to be godly. You train to be godly. If faith is a muscle that atrophies from, from not using, then we don't try to have more faith. You train to have more faith. Are you listening to me tonight? There are certain fights when we are battling against doubt and unbelief that we are going to have, going to face that your gift isn't going to overcome it, that even your understanding of your position in Christ isn't going to overcome it. None of those things are going to overcome it. We needed to be yielded and trained in righteousness. Man, that scripture, I was teaching the Bible, (coughs) excuse me, teaching the Bible school last night, and that was one of the scriptures that we we had in our notes, our syllabus to really come. And man, when I was studying that a couple days ago, it just lit me up. Trained in righteousness. We're trained in righteousness. Of course, that's in, in Timothy that he gives that, that scripture. What is spiritual discipline? It is repetitious actions driven by spiritual decisions that create new habits. They break sinful cycles. They nurture, spirit, nurture spiritual health. And it creates growth that leads to the maturing of your faith where doubt and unbelief can't take root and grow a stronghold in your life. Listen to me tonight. In the church, we think that your gift makes you mature. We think that your anointing makes you mature. We think that your ability to go walk up to somebody and prophesy over them makes you mature. But I'm telling you tonight, that is not what maturity is in the kingdom of God. We have created that culture in the church that if somebody operates in a certain gift, we call them mature and full of faith. Can I just tell you the plain, honest truth? Just because they're operating a gift does not mean that they're operating at a great level of faith. It doesn't. But God is looking for people during this time on the earth now. What did I, I mentioned this last night. It was so fresh on my mind. I looked at our class and I said, what did Jesus say? He said, when I return... Will I find faith? God is wanting his people to believe he is who he said he is. And he will do what he said he would do. That's what faith is. It's when you see the bad report. It's when you see the difficulty in front of you. It's not cowering down and saying, well, I guess this is just the way it's always supposed to be. The church should be the people that are shining light of who our Father is, and we need to get faith, but faith isn't going to grow on its own. Just because you're anointed and have a gift operating doesn't mean you're growing faith in your life. Why spiritual disciplines? Why did I land there? Here's why. 
because what is meant to be a victory battle in the season you're in becomes a bearer because we faint in the day of adversity. In other words, like I said before, when you, let me think of a good example. When you're faced with something that comes up all of a sudden, in that moment, you need to have something on the inside of you that rises up. Amen? And, and the moment to do that isn't in that moment. It's the weeks and months and years before the moment. Are you listening to me? That's where spiritual discipline comes in. That's where, that's where focusing on the Word of God, building our faith through God. Let me give you another example. Especially with football season coming up. You know i got to start working some football stuff in. You know I do. But we, if you follow any sport, whether it's basketball, football, any, any sport, especially if, you're, if you really follow it closely, you may be a person who loves baseball and you, you know, your favorite baseball team, I think of Wayne Crump, Cardinals. I'm not a big, big baseball fan, but I know that man loves the Cardinals. And so he can tell you past, you know, opponents and people. But if you follow sports long enough, you know that there's those teams that just aren't very good, right? They're just, they're just not, they're just not good. You guys will understand this. They're the bad news bears, some teams, right? Anybody remember the bad news bears? I'm dating myself. Some of you, anybody too terribly young, but Alexis, you probably have no idea who the bad news bears. Thank you. Like the one person. There's those certain teams that just never can break through. And when, I, when I'm talking about discipline and building your faith, here's my point. Some of you have doubt and unbelief operating in your life because all you've ever been told is that you can't win. Football analogy. My son joined the Lecanto football team when he went into high school a couple years ago as a freshman. Everybody just come along, yeah. You know, they, you know what their name is, right? And I'm like, no, I don't. But can't win. Ha, ha, ha. I'm not mentioning any particular teams, but it was amazing how things changed. The, here's my point. When you see a team that has historically been really bad, all of a sudden beating everybody else, it's because there's been a shift in their belief system. Some of you need a shift in your belief system. You are expecting next week and the month and the year after to be worse than what you're living today, and that is not faith in who God is. Because I noticed something about the culture of the team. The same time that he went into his freshman year, they got a new coach. And the new coach wasn't going to put up with believing you can't win. Every time they step on the field, I heard him tell them over and over again, you can beat anybody on any given day. Can I tell you, when the bad report comes, the first thing you should think of is this is not going to stand in the way of God and his word and what he's said over the situation. Doesn't mean you don't go through fiery trials. Doesn't mean that there's not difficulties. Some of you need a voice like that of the Holy Spirit just coaching you because I noticed more than once he'd pull my own son off to the side and kind of shake him by the face mask. Give him some pointers. Give him some ways. My point is tonight with discipline is some of you, if you would listen to the discipline of the Holy Spirit and listen to what he's telling you to work and focus on and grow in your spiritual life, you would be amazed at how faith would take off. He, I remember pulling my son aside a couple times and just, he wasn't yelling at him. He was encouraging him. And that is who the Holy Spirit is in your life. When you begin to apply spiritual discipline to your life, when you begin to seek Him, when you begin to grow these things in your life, He is right there the whole time just cheering you on. Because He wants you to win. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be blessed. That is who God is. But a lot of times it's not the fault of God that we can look at and blame. It's our own self for not growing the proper things spiritually in our lives because it is partly up to us because I'm not telling you to try to grow your faith tonight. I'm telling you to train your faith tonight. To begin to stretch it and begin to rise up and begin to understand that if God said it, that settles it. And when you settle it in your heart, when the difficulty comes, you've got a ready-made answer. I remember one particular game. They had 
I looked it up because I always want to know who they're playing. They, for the four years previous to stepping on the field with this particular team, they had been outscored 173 to 7. And as a parent, I think of the Lord, I think of the, the, our Heavenly Father in this same vein through the Holy Spirit of encouragement. As a parent, I caught my son saying, yeah, they always just whoop us up, one side and down the other. It's always the same result. It's always the same thing that happens. I looked at him and I said, that's the past, son. You guys have been trained. Some of you need to rely back on the training that the Holy, the fire that I'm telling you right now in the Holy Spirit, some of you, the fire that you have been through hasn't been meant to destroy you. It's been meant to train you to grow your faith to levels you've never seen before. How many knows God comes through? He does. I'm saying that in faith tonight. Not having seen half of what I've been praying for lately. It gets worse, Amen. I said, son, what's your coach say? Coach says we can beat him. Coach says we can do this. I said, then you need to listen to the voice here. Because some of you need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you who you are, not what the enemy's saying that you are. If you listen to him, doubt and unbelief will take root and it will grow a stronghold and you will always be operating in doubt and unbelief. And it was interesting because they stepped on the field with this team. And at the end of the first quarter, we were up 16 to 0. That's what I said. Ooh, come on. Second corner, we were down 22 to 16. And I saw their heads hanging. You see, when we get hit back, and I promise you, the enemy's going to hit back. The enemy's going to try to... God, the enemy is going to try to prove to you that God isn't who he said he was. You don't believe me? Go read the, the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about how Satan was beautiful in form. And what did he say? He said, you look at it. I will ascend. I will take over. Why did he do that? Because he doubted who God said he was. It's really one of the original sins, pride. I have found that doubt and unbelief really at its root in my life is pride. Because when I take God for his word and I am who he says I am. And I can do what he says I can do. So I saw the demeanor in the halftime of being down six, five, six, seven points, whatever it was in that game, and I thought, this is going to be interesting. And, and they didn't go in the locker room. They went down beyond the goalpost, and they met down there, and I could hear the coach. And boys, I told you this is going to be a tough, hard-fought game. I told you that there's going to be times when you get knocked down in this game. But I've also trained you. All those stadium steps that you didn't want to run, all those times you lifted the weights, and you didn't want to be in here. It was training you for this moment. You see, the opportunity that we face when we need our faith, again, doesn't need to be trained in that moment. It needs to be trained now so that you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit say, hey, get up and fight this. They came back out and won that game. Again, been outscored 176 to like 7 over those previous years came out and beat them and nobody ever thought because you've been told all your life you, you can't win the devil's mocking you, you can't overcome this, that addiction will always be there that sickness will always be there he's a liar he is a liar the father of lies he can't do anything but lie you say how do I know when the enemy's speaking if he's speaking he's lying because if you apply the spiritual disciplines to your life, if you fast, if you pray, if you get with God, you will start to train your faith muscle when you need it, that it will be there. Because God doesn't want you to just survive the season you're presently in. He wants you to thrive in the season you're presently in. That's who God is. Some of us listen to that voice of defeat and that barrier of the enemy. And what does the enemy simply want to do? He wants to distract you from the voice of victory in your life. Distractions. The enemy wants to get us distracted onto his voice. So I'm going to give you three quick things. And number one, it says, practice discipline in your mind. 
It says, let this mind be in you that it was in Christ Jesus. If you want to build the muscle of faith, if you want to dislodge doubt and unbelief in your life, you have to meditate and discipline your mind on the word of God. Get in it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Be in it. Soak in it. Every time you get a chance, you should have a scripture that's coming into your mind because if you don't, there's something else taking its place. Number two. Practice discipline in your atmosphere. Everybody say atmosphere. Did you know you can control the atmosphere around you? You absolutely can. You're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. You are. You can set the atmosphere. Let me ask you this question. When it comes to building your faith, what's the atmosphere of your life? Because faith grows in certain atmospheres. And the reason I ask you what the atmosphere of your life is, is that if you get up every morning and the first thing you think is, man, this is going to be the worst day I've ever had. Yesterday was bad and tomorrow's going to be even worse. Can't stand my job. I hate these kids and my wife don't cook. <laughs> what kind of atmosphere are you setting? Listen, you have the ability in God with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to set your atmosphere. Wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you are, if you want faith to grow, you've got to be the atmosphere setter. In the atmosphere of worship, the word comes to us. So when the word comes to us, you can set the dial of your thermostat to joy. Come on. You can set the dial of your thermostat to peace. And nobody can take you take that from you because Jesus said, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give it unto you. And if the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. If the world didn't give it to you, then circumstances can't come and steal it from you. So joy and peace and all those things that we build our faith in and that nourishes our faith is something that's completely in our control. You set your atmosphere. So, again, I ask you, what is the atmosphere of your life like right now? Are you setting it instead of to joy and peace? Are you setting the thermostat of your life to doubt and unbelief? You need to check that. Are you setting it to faith? Are you setting it to the promises of God or are you setting it to see bitterness? You can discipline your atmosphere. I guarantee it. Because why, why do I say you can discipline your atmosphere? Because you can discipline yourself. And when you can discipline yourself... You can discipline your atmosphere, and you can control it. I mentioned this, but again, number three, discipline your heart and mind for the work ahead. Everybody say work ahead. Listen, when God gives you a word and it meets faith, it doesn't have to be big faith, just meets faith. And if you say and you're sitting in here, I don't have faith, it's, a, it's the enemy. Why do I say that? Because it says everyone has been given a measure of faith. What I've learned about that measure of faith is I can apply these disciplines and begin to grow it. I can set the atmosphere and it begin to grow. And the reason I say that when God gives a word, then you have to come over here and get ready for the work. Because all through the Bible, we understand that people will get a word from God and begin to operate in it, and then trial, temptation, and fire, and difficulty would come their way, and they would quit believing the word God spoke, and it wouldn't have any effect in their lives. So give me an example. Best example I can give, and everybody knows this story, is Peter in the boat. Disciples are in the boat, and man, I, I love the story because it just amazes me, because whatever possessed Peter... <laughs> To look and see Jesus, the Son of God, walking on... I think it shocked Jesus. Lord, if it be you, bid me to come. Jesus like, really? Yeah. Hey, come on now. Come on. Come on out, Peter. And the reason I say you... When, the, when, when, when what God wants meets faith, then you have to stay in faith. Because listen, man, when he got down out of that boat... And I'm telling you tonight, I want to be one of the people that gets out of the boat. <laughs> I don't want to be stuck in the boat. 
The other 11 are in the boat. running his mouth, always asking Jesus for everything, always wanting to do something special. But listen, man, when he stepped out of that boat, there was no pavement, there was no path, there was water, and he walked across it. Because, he, listen to me, this is where faith grows in our life. You're not walking on the natural you're walking on the Word of God because when the Word of God, the Son of God says, come down and walk, you're walking on His Word. When the Word of God comes, look for the work ahead because the work ahead is not, is God going to come through? Is it, are you going to remain in faith long enough? It's not about the size of your faith tonight. It's about the duration of your faith because somewhere in that story, He's walking on the water like it's pavement and what does he have his eyes on? Who does he have his eyes on? He's got it on Jesus, the living word of God. The living word of God gave him a word, and God has given some of you a word, but you're not focusing on Jesus and faith anymore. You're focusing on the waves that are beginning to accumulate around you. And any time we take our eyes off of the word in, in looking at Jesus and get it on the circumstance, you're going to start to sink. That's doubt and unbelief. You see, in that moment when he looked over here, it, I mean, it had to occur to him, what am I doing out here? It would to me. Listen, if you've never asked yourself, what am I doing out here? You've never stepped out in faith. God, this isn't possible. God, what I've been praying for is impossible, but I came to tell you tonight, God wants to strengthen your faith because he wants to dislodge doubt and unbelief out of us and out of his church because God wants to do the miraculous. God wants to do the, the exponential. He wants to do the above and beyond where we've got our eyes on the, on the difficulty and the waves and not on him. So we, we don't try to grow your faith. You can train your faith. You can. you can. You can get in God's gym, so to speak, and begin to train that so that we can become people of greater faith. Stand with me tonight. Like I heard a preacher say one time, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? That's the truth. I would rather step out of the boat and say, well, what a ride. The beauty of that story, obviously, is Jesus is like, oh, ye of little faith. I don't want Jesus to look at me and say, oh, ye of zero faith. <laughs> I wasn't there, obviously. But I kind of get like Jesus is rescuing him and picking him up and like Peter I think he said it with just pride ye of little faith in other words I'm going to cause your faith to be a rock that other people stand on and he's probably cutting his eyes over at the other 11 why aren't you out here we can train our faith we can build our faith we can be those who dislodge uh, unbelief. Because doubt and unbelief for some of you is what's been holding that door from coming all the way open for you. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. If you have been diligently seeking God, if you have been standing upon his word, I came to encourage you tonight, continue to stand upon it. Because God comes bow your heads with me tonight. Father, for each and every person in this room tonight, God, we pray for a strengthening of our faith. We, we rebuke every lie of the enemy, every voice of the enemy that would say, you're going down this time. Lord, we say we're rising up. For every voice of the enemy that says that loved one is never going to come into the kingdom, Father, we'd claim your word that says you're not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. 
God, for the, for the voice of the enemy that says, I am in your physical body and I'm going to continue to torment you the rest of your life. Father, we rebuke the lies and we believe that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. Father, for cancers and sickness and disease and everything out, we spit doubt out and we say, faith arise in Jesus' name. God, we believe you tonight that you are the God who heals us. You are the God who saves us. You are the God who provides for us. You are the God who watches over us and our families and this church and our community. You are the God who provides. That's who you are, Lord. So tonight, let our faith rest and let our faith grow on believing that, God, you are who you say you are. And, God, you will do what you say you will do. You are not a man that you should lie, and you are a debtor to no one. So let faith arise. Let the enemy's lies go in Jesus' name. And, God, let faith find its place in each heart. Doubt and unbelief, Father, we push it away, and we pray for a strengthening and a building up of the most holy faith. Father, I pray that this church will be like the Peters and would jump out of that boat at your word, at your word, Lord, not flippantly or presumptuously, Lord, at your word, we would have enough faith in our heart to step out onto the word that you've spoken and keeping our eyes fixed upon you, not the waves, not the trial, not the fire, but refix our eyes upon you tonight so that, Lord God, we can dislodge doubt and unbelief, that, Lord, last week as we prayed, we dislodge dishonor, And, Father, keep us in your most holy graces. Father, I bless Christian Center tonight. I pray they would be blessed going in and blessed going out. They would be blessed in their homes, and you would put your mighty blessings upon their work and the hands that they put to for providing for their families and watching over their families and guarding their families. Lord, we pray tonight that you would keep us safe, that you would watch over us by your holy angels and give us a great night rest tonight, a great rest of the week, until we find ourselves back in the house of the Lord together as the family of God on Sunday. Watch over us as we go. And Lord, as we depart from here, may we never depart from your holy presence. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, I love you if nobody's told you they love you. And thank you for being in the house of God tonight.